Welcome to the Dynasty Movement Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dynasty Discord for a link to join the movement and our Discord server. My name is Nick Wilford and I'll be your host this evening. You can find me on Twitter at electronics underscore FF or on our Discord at electronics. Let's hop in. As while editing this podcast, I discovered that we're missing the first question and answer as well as the second question. Anthony Amico is a writer at Football Guys. He operates a Substack, and from my perspective, is a pillar in the analytics community. He crushed the Scott Fishbowl last year and was the number one QB ranker on Fantasy Pros. What sets him apart, according to him, in his intro is how he thinks in probabilities. The next question I asked him where we'll pick up is what caused him to think about age versus experience adjusting. So that was something that I wrote about really like starting this time last year was just about like the value of basically like experience, like years in college versus like just looking strictly at player age. Um, And I I guess like I had, I had read something from Rich Rebar about, you know, specifically like late versus early declare. And I was thinking about how like, you know, like maybe age isn't the variable that actually matters the most. Like it's possible that actually age is just kind of a proxy for experience because, you know, obviously typically the younger you are, the less, you know, number of years that you've played in college or, or at all. Um, Cause I, I was thinking about, I guess, Calvin Ridley, obviously being like kind of like the classic case because he was such an older prospect and then i'm trying to think if we had someone like that last year but i I feel like last year you know we had a like brandon Ayuk, i guess was a little older really it's just like something that i feel like comes up a lot where we have like these these players and we're kind of like looking at them through age and i and i feel like i talked to peter a lot peter howard and he like is not someone that looks at age as a decimal. Like he's someone that looks at it as a whole number. And I was always someone that had looked at it as a decimal. And he was saying that, you know, he wasn't really seeing the value in in doing it as a decimal. And that was something that had kind of like shown up as being pretty important in a lot of the modeling I had done. So I was kind of like, okay, well, maybe, maybe it it doesn't matter, but because the experience matters. And I kind of just look back at that. Um, I mean, gathering that data was like a little, a little cumbersome just because like, obviously it's easier to just find like a player's, well, not all the time, I guess, but it's easier to find a player's date of birth and then kind of like, you know, just match that up in the draft year and, and, and boom, you know, you have age, but you have to like, kind of go back into each individual player's recruiting profiles to find like, you know, when they actually started college, stuff like that. And yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not 100 sure. I guess what I was expecting because I, I didn't think that it was going to be as as valuable as it was. It was kind of just something I was looking to add because I had been doing a lot of receiver modeling, and it ended up being like pretty important. Like, I, you know, the thing that obviously stood out the most was just that like these three year guys, these players who had, you know, only been in college for two for three seasons. You know, whether they registered a year or not, like they were just hitting at such a higher rate than these players who had been in, you know, four years, five years, whatever. So, you know, I think part of my curiosity was just that, like, you know, when you say early declare versus not early declare, 
that's kind of only part of the puzzle. Like early declare versus not early declare is basically as asking the question, like, did this player stay in college as long as they possibly could? And I think that when you're looking at like exactly how much time that's, that player spent in college, that, that makes a pretty big difference because, you know, these players do have five years of eligibility. Uh, if they never redshirt, someone who leaves, you know, the only way you can be an early declare is if you leave after three years, but if you redshirt, you can get that fourth year and still be an early declare. And that's kind of not really the same thing to me. And it's not the same thing in the data. So that actually kind of like was backed up. So I guess that was kind of why I got into it. And uh, yeah, I mean, the biggest things that I kind of took away were the guys who play in college for three years uh, slash like the guys who break out as true freshmen year one they they typically do the best and that was that was particularly valuable last year just because there were so many receiver prospects that had done that right can you maybe speak to some guys this year that that makes a difference on when you look at it that from that perspective i know so so i think the alabama guys i think the alabama guys are are kind of like the case study here because Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle are ostensibly the same age. Like there's really not a huge gap in their age, but Waddle has only, Waddle only played three years at Alabama and Smith played four. So that is kind of like a big data point for me. Like if I'm comparing those two guys, obviously Waddle ended up going higher in the draft also, which helps, but you know, I feel like that extra year, is is valuable i mean obviously like all things being equal like that age still matters like i'd still prefer the age 20 true junior versus like the age 21 true junior but like i'm still taking that third year player over you know most fourth year players in a lot of cases funny how this uh keeps coming back to alabama players referencing ridley earlier and then the comparison between waddle and smith this year but um, let's see. Sorry to, I'm realizing now that asking you that right away when we hopped in, it's kind of a very in-depth question for one of the the the, uh, the first questions in the AMA. Maybe uh, oh, I don't care, <laughs> right? But you know, we definitely do enjoy getting to know um, analysts when they hop in. You know, are willing to come join us. So a few things that we generally end up asking are. Um, what um, what got you into fantasy football, and um, what exactly was your uh, earliest fantasy football memory? So my what got me into fantasy football actually was my buddy Matt Matt Lamarca. I don't know if, if people listening to this will know who he is, but he's like he uh, he writes at a couple of sites for like daily fantasy and stuff like that. He's more like daily fantasy betting, but we like grew up together. So I would say like freshman year of high school. He was like, we were like in homeroom, and he's like, "You want to do a fantasy league?" Because I do this league with my parents, you know, I do this league with my dad, and all this stuff. And uh, that was kind of like what got me into it, like just interested in it. Uh, we also like we also played fantasy football as part of like one of my classes, which was kind of cool. It was like a sports marketing class or whatever. And uh, oh, nice. Yeah, so we did some fantasy football on there too. So that was kind of like my first time doing it, and. Just a ton of fun, obviously. And I don't know, like, I guess, like, it just, I just find it to be really, a really interesting game. Like, I really like football. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that, that was kind of it. Yeah, totally fair. 
Um, we also noticed that, so um, it looks like you would uh, do some coaching as well. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to give us a rundown on what your coaching history looks like? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been coaching probably for, I want to say, like maybe eight or nine years now in high school. So I teach, I teach at a high school and uh, pretty much like right away I got into coaching. So it's cool. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's like a way different experience, obviously, than like some of the stuff that I do with the numbers. I uh, definitely have learned a lot just about like the X's and O's side of the game. Cause I, I didn't play football in college. Like I played in high school, but I wasn't like very good. So I, I'm not like, I'm not like classically trained, I guess, in the art of football. Sure. Um, so I've learned a lot kind of through coaching and uh, I'm not the head coach or anything. Like I, I'm, I'm the, uh, like I'm one of the main assistants on offense and I do the special teams and stuff like that. So I'm not like, I'm not like calling the shots really per se, but I, I'm, I'm learning a lot and I'm kind of giving some insight where I can. Oh, that's totally fair. Um, I yeah. feel like just that goes to show just like the, um, we've had other people on here who've done some coaching as well. And I just, I feel like that really shows like a love of the game to, you know, want to go and contribute back to, um, I would, is this like at the high school, uh, middle school level? High school. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, getting a chance to give back to like these guys, high school experience. Um, I, yeah, I mean that's still really awesome. Does that does that affect how you play uh, Dynasty? All do you? I know you generally um, are a pretty analytics-driven person. How do you? Does that affect um, how you view th these prospects at all, or is that just something that um, you do kind of on the side? I mean, it affects it a little bit in the sense that like. I have like some concept of, of like understanding like how players are going to win. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like, I mean, I, I, I can't even really say it's like tertiary. Like it's like even past that in terms oh, of like sure. how I would apply it. Like, cause I just don't, I just don't like a lot of stuff. I still can't really quantify. I try to keep things like pretty quantifiable within like a certain range. And then, you know, I'm just like breaking ties, I guess, like a lot of this extra stuff. So yeah, I mean the coaching. Yeah. The coaching for me at this point is really more about like being close to the game, being close to the kids, like being a part of their lives, and then the fantasy stuff for me is kind of just separate. Yeah, man, it makes sense. Um, given, I know we had a question somewhere in here. Uh, given that you are more of an analytics person, how do you handle um, when like uh, maybe film really loves a guy, but his analytics just uh, doesn't? You know what I mean his analytics just aren't quite there. I mean, this year we may be looking for that as like the um, the ultimate example of being Kadarius Tony. But you know, I mean, there are definitely outside of just him, there are definitely other prospects that you know maybe film loves, but analytics does not. Do you work film into your process at all, or do you have a way of um, marrying those two together at all? Yeah, so I try to keep really open minded about this because like one of the first when I like first started making models, like maybe three or four years ago like uh like a scouting grade was was really valuable in those models and it still is like i mean if i were to go back and and reproduce like a lot of that work today like those scouting grades matter uh now i mean part of that obviously could be that it's just a proxy for draft position which is super valuable as i think most people know but i i feel i feel as though like what the scouts say is really important i mean i i'm really big into like this um and again, I don't know, like, 
if this is too obscure or whatever, but there's, there's this idea of uh, it's called chicken sexing, where like you have to determine like the sex of the chicken, basically, like is it male or is it female? But there's no like when they're young, there's no way to tell. Like it, it's literally like a field process. So there's these like grandmasters of chicken sexing that like just can do it really well and they train people how to do it but there's no like you couldn't write a book on it you know what i mean like it's purely it's literally an intuition based process and these people get so good at it that they rarely rarely make a mistake so i think about that as it relates to stuff like film study and it's like you know i i don't think that necessarily people who grade film are always quantifying it per se in the best way um but like the people who are really good like those, those opinions really should definitely be valued. And I think the key is more like to find like, you know, find the people who you think in some kind of fashion, like have proven themselves to be, you know, really good at, at watching the tape and understanding what these players can bring and try to factor that into your process. I mean, again, like in terms of a model, like I, I actually like could factor that in like very directly, you know, through like a ranking or, you know, something like that. Um, but even, even if you're not like building a model, like, I think that those factors matter because there are obviously cases where like players aren't, uh, utilized, I guess, to their full potential or have some extenuating circumstances that prevent them from producing at a certain, in a certain way or in a way that we like analytically. Sure. So I, I try to keep a pretty open mind about the, about the film stuff. Cause I do, I do think that like, there's real value there. You know, I think most of the stuff. Like when we say analytics, I mean, not to like go too long on this, but like when we say analytics and, and, and stuff like that, like we're really just talking about different variations of the box score. And all the box score is, is just recording what's happening within the field of play. So like you have to start with watching the tape somewhere, you know, even if you're not the one that's physically doing it. Uh, so I think it would be kind of silly to throw that out completely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, um, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I'm definitely not anywhere near as experienced as you are, but I did um, when building my models, I ended up using a, the NFL.com grades by Lance Zerline because those were found to actually have a pretty high correlation to fantasy points in the first three years. So, I mean, it is something not, I mean, that's not the, the uh, end all be all, but it's, you know, just one of the processes of potentially doing that. If that's something that people are interested in doing, but no, I think you're, I, I love that answer. Uh, we had a couple more questions come in about the uh, about some of your high school experience. Um, Solar, uh, also Tanho from the the Alaska, if you know him at all. Um, what NFL concepts do you think that high school teams could incorporate more, or vice versa? Being what sort of concepts could uh, NFL teams incorporate? Um. So, could you maybe ask that again? Like, I. I'm trying to sure. like does does he mean does he mean like uh like what kind of concepts I guess would be my question. I, I think it's Con more of an open he, let's see, I think he's gonna uh you know, like uh I guess he's thinking more like play concepts, but kind of more of an open ended question of like what sorts of um maybe NFL practices as well that uh high school teams could implement as well from the NFL. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I, I mean, I think that like, 
the high school the high school side of that is really difficult because I think high school is way 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 more driven by the players that you have like at least for me like I, I'm at a public high school so like sure we can only really coach the kids that are there so like if we're just like we're gonna do x but we don't really have the players to do that we kind of have to do y you know like that's so I, I but and I think even something as simple as like throwing the ball more you know it's like sometimes really difficult to execute at the high school level um but, but in terms of the nfl like I, I think the college game in general has kind of advanced past pro football i know that like a lot of people say well you couldn't run you know for, for instance like zone read that's like the big thing right people always say like, you can't run zone read at the nfl level the athletes are too good but that's not really true, right? Because, you know, we just saw Lamar, we've seen Lamar Jackson the last like couple of years, like kind of run amok, right? Um, mm -hmm. so, so I think that like just in general, the NFL being a little more open-minded to some of that stuff. I mean, some of the stuff that Lincoln Riley does is just really, really cool. Like, um, you know, running kind of like second level screens and stuff like that. Like interesting concepts, I guess. Um, yeah. But like the NFL guys obviously understand the game really well, so it's it, it's difficult to say like oh, you know, uh, they should incorporate some some concept more. Like I'm sure that they are. It's just a matter of like, I guess them having the players in the in the Lamar Jackson sense, but also, you know, I think that I think for the professionals, there's like this element of, well, if we do this new thing, and we lose it's a lot more likely that we'll get fired than like if we do this thing that everyone does and we lose because people expect us to do that. So uh, I'm like, I, I think that that is what's kind of actually driving the bus there. And uh, I guess if, I guess like longer, like these long coaching contracts, I think are really interesting because I actually think that that's maybe one of the keys to getting a little more interesting at the pro level. Probably, probably not if you give them to guys like, John Gruden and Dan Campbell per se. Um, but you know, if you found someone really interesting, like if someone was like, Hey, like we're going to hire Lincoln Riley, we're going to give him a 10 year contract in the NFL. Uh, I don't know. I think you'd probably find some, some really interesting stuff out about exploiting professional football. Yeah. I definitely think as we, uh, as some of the old guard has been replaced, we definitely have started to get uh, NFL executives and coaches that have, came in and decided what can we get out of these players instead of how can we fit these players into my system. And that definitely it was something that we saw even as early, or as soon as maybe 10 years ago, coaches were still trying to say, how can we fit players into my system versus trying to fit them around the Josh Allen's, Lamar Jackson's. But it definitely seems to have driven the uh, positions and offenses now. So I definitely, I definitely like how you took that, or yeah, how you took that question. Let's see. I'm gonna pull back some of our some of the earlier questions. Let's see. Yeah, while you're while you're doing that, I, I got it. I actually I don't think I thanked you in the beginning. So, <laughs> oh. uh, just like thank you for for doing this because it's it's pretty cool. Like I, I don't think that like generally, um, I guess I don't generally find myself to be very interesting. So to have people interested in in, in hearing more about my thoughts on stuff is is pretty neat. So I appreciate I guess having this avenue to do that. Yeah, I think we. Uh... There's quite a few people here who do a lot of analytics work. So I think that 
given all of, of what you contribute to the community, I want to make sure you feel appreciated because we definitely have referenced the research that you've put out there before. So oh, cool. let's see. Um, we had a couple questions come in during some of the earlier things we were discussing. Um, when we were talking about some of the Alabama guys, do you have any thoughts on like doing any sort of teammate adjusting or conference adjustments? So that stuff has always been a little difficult for me. I've tried it. I know that I've talked to JJ a little bit, Zacharyson, and he said, I know he uses a teammate score. I've had trouble kind of getting that to pop the way that I want in my models. And like when I say the way that I want, like I, I think we have like kind of like a basic understanding of like some obvious situations where like teammates have probably impacted um, performance. I, I think the difficult part about doing that in like an algorithmic way is just that like it's hard to weigh the degree to which certain prospects impact one another without knowing like their results also. Uh, so then, and then maybe even if we do that in like a strictly draft position based way, the sample isn't really that big. Like I, I think that like this, this idea of having like just tons of receivers on the same team is like a relatively new concept. Like I don't really feel like it has happened super often. And then like, even in the cases where it has, I would say that like the last couple of years of these Alabama guys is like, even like a step past that, you know, like I, I would say that like the original case that I can think of is like Clemson when they had Watkins and Hopkins and Martavis Bryant. But then I felt like it wasn't really happening very often. And now it's kind of become more in vogue the last couple of years because we have, you know, LSU and Alabama and then like even Florida, like, they have like some lower level guys along with like a Kadarius Tony, a Van Jefferson. I think Fred Swain is out of Florida, obviously Kyle Pitts. So like there's, I, I'm, I think maybe in a couple of years, that would be something where like we can look back and maybe value that a little bit better, but it's not something that I have a good way of doing now. Like right now I'm, I'm pretty much just looking contextually to like, I guess mentally I'm giving some kind of like arbitrary boost, you know, like I look at a guy like Jalen Waddle or, or Devontae Smith this year. And I'm like, okay, like what would they have done if they didn't have all these guys on their team? You know, like I, like I kind of feel like Alabama is the only the only spot that Devontae Smith could have gone to, to have had the career that he's had, you know, I kind of feel the same way about like a Terrace Marshall. So I, it's, um, I guess it's kind of arbitrary the way that I try to apply it, but I do try to apply it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then the other part of that, do you, um, let's see, do you do any sort of conference adjustment? Oh, no, no, no conference adjustment. I mean, I think that the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I've learned is just like power five over group five. Um, and past that, I don't think that it's necessary to conference adjust. Like I, I was doing some, I was doing some schedule adjustments last year where I was like doing uh, like receiving yards per team pass attempt is like the big receiving stat that I like to use. And then I was adjusting that based on the schedule, not even just the conference. Like I was going even, I guess, a little more granular. And it did, it did uh, increase accuracy, but I just kind of felt like the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Like I wasn't getting like, wasn't getting like some huge improvement in accuracy. Sure. 
So like I, I felt like for the time it really wasn't worth it. Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of receiving yards per team pass attempt, um, one of our users, Alb, um, was curious. Basically, how do you define a breakout? Do you do like the twenty percent dominator, thirty percent? You do like weighted dominator, and then one of the things that he's kind of asking about is potentially using breakout year with a threshold in the receiving yards per team pass attempt, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I've looked at this also, and it, it actually, like, um, it's good because Blair, uh, Blair Andrews at Rotoviz has looked at this, um, and the 30, the 30% dominator is the best, like, appear, appears to be the best, like, in the data in terms of the breakout. And it's definitely the one that I use the most. I mean, I'm pretty – every now and then I, I will toss, like, a snarky tweet out about the 20% because I just – it just it's just way too inclusive to me uh like i and, and i don't think that you're getting the the right kind of signal with 20 like obviously you're still going to include all those hits that you get at 30 but i, I don't think that you know you, the reason you're doing that is basically to try to recoup the guys that you're losing because they break out at the 20 to 29 percent you know 29.9 whatever um and I just like in that range, you're not really scooping up a lot of additional value. So the 30% I'm really big on receiving yards per team pass attempt is a tricky, is a tricky barometer. Again, Blair looked at that and it wasn't any better than 30% dominator threshold. So I still prefer that. Um, I think one of the issues with the receiving yards per team pass attempt is that it's still a little bit of a volume stat. Like I, I think we look at, it's volume. It's basically volume and efficiency, right? So, like, if you're looking at dominator, it's just looking at the production. And maybe if you're someone who had um, a few really big plays, or like a couple of really big games, or maybe you're just on a a team that doesn't pass a lot, like you can you can hit those thresholds. But if your team doesn't throw a, the ball a lot, like that hurts you a lot more in receiving yards per team pass attempt than it doesn't dominator. And that kind of like restricts you kind of like restricts your access a little bit so i again like i haven't really found a good threshold there that i prefer versus the 30 percent dominator so that's uh that's what i'll continue to use sure that makes sense did you say are you using 30 percent dominator or 30 percent weighted i would assume just the standard 30 percent dominator yeah yeah okay. um we had so we had we saw the other one of the other reasons we i wanted to have you on as well um I really, I I think it'd be hard not to notice how well you did last year in the Scott Fishbowl. So, we kind of wanted to ask, like, um, did you? What's your process for going into that tournament? Do you do any sort of? Do you have any sort of set strategies? Do you do like a deep dive of the rules or the scoring that year? What's kind of your process for hopping into the Scott Fishbowl? Uh, so, I mean, I think, I think adjusting to the rules is kind of like the biggest thing because Scott like changes them every year. And I, I think that that's what people are the slowest to react to. So I try to look at the rules and, you know, then I'm trying it, the rules in terms of the scoring and in terms of the rosters, because I feel like part of my approach last year was the scoring, obviously, because I, I felt like the scoring last year obviously was better for quarterbacks and not just all quarterbacks, it actually was better for the elite quarterbacks. It was kind of barbelling quarterback performance more. So I was like, okay, 
I want good quarterbacks. Like I should acquire those quarterbacks early. And then I was kind of thinking again, last year, there were so many flex spots and usually Scott does uses a lot of flex spots that like, there isn't really a practical difference between, you know, say your running back one or your running back two versus like your fourth flex. Like they're just roster spots on your team. So I, I went with a zero running back approach, but that was really driven by the board in the sense that the running backs were going really, f- the receivers weren't. Obviously receivers score a little bit worse than running backs, but not so much, I felt like versus the ADP. Um, so I kind of like fell into this zero running back strategy where I was like, I, I'm probably going to go zero RB just based on like where people are being drafted, the scoring and the roster settings. And that was kind of what happened. So like this year, I mean, I haven't looked yet into, into how, how all that is. I know Scott sent some stuff out. I haven't really looked yet, but like, that's just something to adjust every year. Like I felt like a couple, maybe like two or three years ago, like the tight ends were kind of a big thing because that's when he first started giving all these extra points to them. So it's really just about, like any other league, I feel like, like kind of looking at the scoring. Cause I, I still feel like ultimately, like at the end of the day, even if you're looking at like all the right stuff, even if you're like looking at the scoring, looking at, like it's just really easy to be rooted in normal leagues. Like it's just really easy to, to be stuck on. Well, like, of course I can't take, you know, of course I can't take Darren Waller before Kenyon Drake or something, you know, like that would be crazy. Like I can never do that. Um, when that's actually like a really good thing to do in some of these leagues, depending on the scoring. So that, that's definitely the biggest thing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I do want to call out, just in case anyone hasn't seen it yet, um, there was a Reddit thread where someone used your uh, your clipping of a certain uh, of a certain fan- fantasy analyst video. Uh, they ended up turning the tables on that same fantasy analyst to burn them a second time. So if anyone hasn't seen that thread, I would like to point it out. It's on Reddit. It's in the uh, questions here. So I don't really have a question on that, but I did want to just <laughs> just highlight that. Um, yeah, Tan did send me that. It was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it I, I had a, uh, I think quite a few of us enjoyed that quite a bit here. So, but anyway, um, have you, so changing gears a little bit, um, maybe there's something a little more, we have a few questions. I mean, we definitely have a lot of respect um, on the server for some of your process. And so we were kind of curious, potentially like, what are some of the research questions that you've been thinking about this off season so far? So the big thing for me this year has been trying to get a better grasp of the, like the range of outcomes for prospects, because sure, I would say since like 2017, maybe 2018, I've been doing a lot of work on modeling and like, the models are cool, like they're fun, but the thing that I always kind of get hung up on is that no matter what kind of model you're using, for the most part, like you're getting a singular output. So I'm just getting like projected fantasy points or, uh, you know, probability of being a success or, you know, maximum fantasy point, you know, whatever, like whatever it is, like I'm just getting one number when a lot of times like these guys live in a range and like understanding that range is, is really valuable because you know, two guys that have the same projection don't necessarily have the same range of outcomes. You know, like the guy that you think could score 10 points, like two guys that could score 10 points, like one guy's range could be 
two to 30 and one guy's range could be eight to 12. And I, I'm being obviously a little uh, extreme, but you, you get the, the gist of it. So like understanding that range better has been really important to me. So I spent more time, I feel like uh, looking into that. And the way that I've done that has been by building like these uh, similarity apps. So um, for, for receivers and running backs only, I haven't done it with running with quarterbacks or with tight ends, but you know, basically you look at the player, you look at, you know, whatever variables you want to select that I have access to. And then it returns the 10 most similar players. And you can view like what they did as rookies. You can view what they did as like their best season within three years. And that has given me like a way better picture because, you know, I think arbitrarily a lot of the comps have kind of made sense. And then that also lets you kind of see, well, what is like the best, what's like the absolute best I could get here? What is the absolute worst? Like what do these actual individual players look like in a given season? Um, how are those players being drafted now? How are those players being drafted within their first few years? Like stuff like that. So uh, I think understanding that range better has been one of my bigger focuses. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure where to go from here. <laughs> so if anybody has a suggestion, I'll dig it. Um, but you know improving this process i think is probably my focal point right now that makes sense that makes sense yeah i mean we have uh we have a few users here who who think a lot about um that di those different questions as well so if we yeah we'll definitely keep you posted if we have anyone who, if that discussion pops up um i definitely know though it's 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 it can be very difficult for um to end up, you know, trying to find stats predictive enough to be able to find similar comps for things like like tight ends, like it can be very difficult. So I can understand why that's uh, running back and wide receiver heavy right now, or uh, only right now. Um, yeah, I mean the, the data too is just like way easier to collect. The samples are bigger, stuff like that. Because the big thing that the big thing that I'm doing, like actually the stats being predictive isn't even necessarily super important because like a lot of the stuff that I'm looking at is through principal component analysis. And like that, that data doesn't have any, any idea, like what's predictive. Like it doesn't have any clue that like, you know, career receiving yards per team pass attempt like matters for a receiver. All it knows is that like, you know, if you look at the data this certain way that these players are very similar, you know? So that's like actually kind of like the most interesting part I felt like of doing this is that like, I'm not trying to match up I'm not trying to take stuff that I think is predictive and, and use it to match up players. I'm actually just letting the data tell me what variables are important and how to weigh those variables. And like, just tell me the guys who are, who are, who look a lot alike. And then like, I can take that context and use it to, to figure out what players, like what that is worth. You know, like in other words, like I'm not, I'm not asking the model to do that for, for me. I'm not asking the data to do that for me. Like I'm just asking the data to tell me like, okay, like who looks a lot like Jamar Chase? Cool. Then separately, it's, well, what did those players do? Okay, cool. That gives me this range. And that's been, that's been kind of fun. That makes sense. So maybe on a, uh, almost the flip side of that, um, what sort of errors uh, did you have in your process uh, last year? And how are you thinking about adjusting for those uh, situations? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, how much time do you have, you know? Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I did, I was doing a lot of stuff that a lot of dynasty players do, which is definitely, I was probably overvaluing some variables too much. 
um, other variables, not enough, but I would say like the big thing last year was like, I was doing, I was doing all this work with like machine learning models and stuff. And, um, I probably was overeating those outputs, like similar to the reasons that we had just talked about. Um, because I, it's like, it's actually really funny. Like we talk about basically this massive, uh, draft class this amazing draft class with all these great players. And, and like, I, I feel like I didn't get a lot of great players on my teams. Um, so I, obviously I was doing something wrong. I mean, I, I guess the worst thing I did was like all my rookie drafts kind of like passed before I had completed like all my research in terms of like, uh, like the three year receivers and stuff like that. So like, I wasn't even, I, I didn't like get any of these guys, you know, <laughs> like, like I had, I have Henry Ruggs, I have Keyshawn Vaughn, I have Jalen Rager. Like I don't have any of the fun guys that, that worked out. Um, but, but I guess like, I guess maybe if I was like to key on one thing, like I, I maybe was factoring in like some of that extra stuff a little too much. And when I say extra stuff, I probably mean, uh, like rushing and returning. Um, cause that was like kind of a nice thing about rugs and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just so easy to get wrapped up in certain things and, and certain players. Like last year, I was just like, man, like people really hate rugs. Like I kind of think he's pretty good. And then like all of a sudden he's on all my dynasty teams and I'm like, okay, like maybe I didn't want to go that far. Um, so that, uh, you know, and I, and I think like within the individual drafts themselves, like probably looking too much at, at team need instead of just looking at the quality of the player. So I, I was in this auction startup with, uh, like a bunch of like experts or whatever, like just like people in the industry. And I, I drafted a really good team. And then I had like the picks were in the auction. So you could, you know, win the picks. And I had the two, the 112, I think, and the 201 or the 201 or the 202 or something like that, like two back to back picks. And like, I'm like, man, like if I hit on these picks, like I really could like have a really good team for a long time. And uh, I took rugs because I was really into rugs. And it was, you know, it was late enough where I was like, okay, like all these other guys are off the board, like this is probably good value. And then I took Vaughn because I was like, I really need a running back. You know, like I, my team had, my team had Austin Eckler, but I had lost like by this time, like Marlon Mack to the injury, Damian Williams had opted out. So I'm like, I have no running backs in this team. Like I, I literally just had Austin Eckler. Um, so I'll take Keyshawn Vaughn, but it's like, I took Vaughn over like all these other guys that I really liked, you know, Visca. Ayuk, um, T Higgins, who I love, like I, I love T Higgins last year and I have none of them. Like, it's so frustrating. Um, so I guess like just kind of overrating need within the individual teams is, uh, is probably a big error I had last year. Cause it's so hard just to find guys that are good. Right. Like it, it's really difficult, mm -hmm. like just to find a guy who's going to hit. Um, so I guess like if you're also adding in, well, like not only does he have to hit, but he has to hit at like this specific position. Like, you're really kind of pigeonholing yourself in a way that makes it difficult to find good players. Absolutely. So speaking of uh, rookie drafts, is there any insights that you've noticed for this year? Um, and like, if you guys, have, if you have any yet, anything uh, that surprised you that you've seen? So I guess two things really surprised me. Um, I play mostly in super flex leagues and tight end premium leagues. So the quarterbacks are really valuable. And the thing that the first thing that has really stood out to me is that Zach Wilson always falls. to like about like the one of seven or so in these super flex leagues, like I'm in, I'm in three drafts. Two of them have progressed like a decent amount. 
and Zach Wilson, excuse me, was the 107 in both. And I'm like, that's kind of crazy to me. You know, like the guy was the second pick in the draft. Like he's pretty good. Like, you know, I don't really pretend to understand quarterbacks too well. So he seems to be going like pretty late, which is kind of wild to me. The other thing that I'm noticing is that like those like third, I guess third tier of running backs, like Michael Carter, Trey Sermon, like those guys are, I've gotten like really juiced up. So like Michael Carter came off the board in this one league I'm in at the 205 in a super flex tight end premium. Like he came off the board before Bateman, before Terrace Marshall, before Tony, Diami Brown, like before all these guys. And like, that's kind of crazy to me too, because I feel like Carter, I mean, he seems average, like a lot of the stuff, like whether it's the comps or like, you know, if I'm listening like to Ray or someone who like watches the tape, like he seems pretty average but he ended up in like a really fortuitous spot. And I feel like we kind of do this thing every year with these running backs where it's like, Oh, like here's this really average player. Like I was just talking about Keyshawn Vaughn, like here's this really average player that has a chance to, to win a backfield. Like we should really draft this guy. But in reality, like if he's an average player, like he may not ever win that backfield. So I, you know, Michael Carter to me is someone where I'm like, I'm probably not going to draft him at all. It's just because like, I, I feel like people value him pretty highly and I that kind of stuck took me by surprise because he's still you know he's still day three pick he's not in necessarily a good offense but we're not really sure yet what the Jets will look like so uh kind of interesting yeah I was just going through this with the uh the guys earlier the the hit rate or like looking back historically on guys with round one uh like one QB rookie ADP that were drafted in round three or later like it is, I mean, in the last like seven, eight classes, besides Alvin Kamara, it is a murderer's row of like lost value. So, I mean, when you start looking at some of these guys, like, especially like Michael Carter, like you were practically lighting that pick on fire in my opinion, but that is, you know, that's just my personal opinion, <laughs> but um, let's see here. So we had a couple of our questions. Uh, Tan was giving was giving you some crap saying uh why no tidy verse and then um <laughs> and then another one of our users begrudgingly awake was uh asking if you would maybe talk about why r is the superior code um so <laughs> so i mean i can address both those things i guess so <laughs> i know Aunt, tan is like mostly messing with me but like there's actually like a decent reason i guess like i I prefer base, I guess, just because I understand it better. You know, like I, I feel like, um, like basically like these, these coding languages, like we don't, like we call them coding languages. Like we don't just call them like codes, you know, like it's not just like stuff you, it's not like playing fantasy football where it's like, oh, like there's this kind of arbitrary thing that we're trying to quantify. Like it's like its own language. It's like if I went to Spain or something, right? Um, so like there's kind of this element of, like when I'm working in base, because I'm like kind of self-taught, like I don't really have like a, I don't really have like a, uh, a true background in this that's classically taught. So the base arguments just make a lot of sense to me. Um, and that's kind of how I'm learning as I go through. So when it comes to like tidyverse and like, I'm like, you know, trying to pipe functions through each other and stuff like that. Like I, I kind of get the general idea of it, but it's, one of those things where it's like kind of difficult to do that, like to learn how to do that efficiently. And 
like learn how to do some of these other coding things that I'm just learning for the first time. So like someone, someone really smart said to me once, like, like the code doesn't have to be good. Like you have to learn how to write like really bad code first. And then like after a while you can work on making that code good. So like, I'm sure that like a lot of stuff that I do in like 12 lines or something, like someone like Tan could probably do like in one line using tidyverse. But like, for now, the, the, the 12 lines, the 12 lines of base R is just easier for me. Like, and it's something that, you know, I can do without uh, putting in like too much additional effort because I mean, for the most part, I'm using R as a tool. It's not really something that I want to spend like too much time learning, like when I'm actually trying to do something else. So uh, I guess, I guess tidyverse, I'm not anti-tidyverse in, in like a general sense. I just haven't really gotten to it. Um, and then R is the superior coding language. For me, I guess just because it's what I know, <laughs> and that makes it better. Um, I mean, I, I like I, I talk to Michael Leone a lot at Establish the Run, and I know he's like a big Python guy. So it is it is fun. Like every now and then, like there's something that like I can I can do that he can't, or there's something that he can't do. You know, they like vice versa. So uh, sometimes those things are fun, but it does it does seem like uh, there are obviously like pros and cons to both. Um, but I, I don't really have a ton of interest in learning Python because I'm comfortable with everything that I can do in R and the processing power. And uh, I think specifically for like data tables and stuff like that, uh, R seems superior and that uh, that works out for me. Sure. For with someone, so I'm someone with a uh, Python background. So I enjoy ribbing, me and Tan enjoy ribbing back and forth once in a while about the languages in what sounds like a similar way. Is Tidyverse like a framework? Would that be the, a good way of describing how Tidyverse works or is it something else? Tidyverse is kind of like, I mean, Tan is definitely the better person to ask for this, but like, I guess my interpretation of Tidyverse is like, um, I don't know, I, I got, I feel no, like it's, fair. yeah, I don't, I don't really, I guess, understand it well enough to give like an informed opinion. Like I. But my like outside opinion is just that it's it's just like a more efficient way to do a lot of these things. Um, okay. So yeah, I don't know. Sure. Um, maybe getting to something that you might feel have a, a little firmer answer on. Uh, what do you think that what sort of statistics do you think analysts weigh too much? Like in your opinion? Oh, I mean. Uh, all of them <laughs> if i mean, like i mean I, I think like so like i think that the one thing that we're really good at with data and, and statistics right is like we're really good at finding stuff that matters but then like we're really bad at saying but only this much you know so like like i love dominator rating you know like i think it's really valuable like i think it's really important when i'm trying to figure out like these breakout thresholds but then like you know, we kind of go overboard in Dominator 2 where we're like, oh, this guy had like a 45% Dominator and this guy had a 38% Dominator. Like this guy with a 45 is like clearly better. And it's like, well, not really. You know, like I think like we tend to go too far on most things that aren't draft position. Uh, I would say draft position is like the one thing we're maybe still not weighing enough. Um, and it, it's easy to understand why. I mean, there's obviously that element of like, you want to feel like you're the smartest guy in the room, you know? Um, like I'm definitely guilty of this. So when you feel like you have something, you know, even something like breakout age, like even something that is like actually valuable, 
like it's really tempting to just kind of go all in on that one data point. Uh, and I think like the one thing that I've learned the most going through all of this is just that you have to, you have to figure out like what each of these things is actually worth and weigh them appropriately. And that's like the hardest thing to do. So, uh, so yeah, I, mean, I guess my cop-out answer is, is all these, all the statistics, but I would say, I feel like the ones that I see like online the most that are weighted too much prior like dominator, um, really any of those market share stats. Cause I, I do think that like they have use, but I, I think ultimately like if you're basing sure. too much of your decision making on them, it's, it's probably bad. It is a uh, similar follow-up. Uh, what do you think aspiring football, fantasy football writers or creators spend too much time doing? Um, I would say probably trying to do something that someone has already done, but doing it better. Um, it's just not like super efficient. Like I, like I, the first, the first article or the first like idea I ever pitched to Rotoviz, like I was trying to apply basically. And I was like, you know, I have this idea, um, of something that I'd like to do, uh, you know, what do you think? And, uh, fantasy douche is basically like a very, very direct person. Um, and he was kind of like, this isn't really like a good idea. And, and like the thing that I was trying to figure out at the time was like, basically like how to value players. Like if there's a way to value players, like in a different way, using like X and Y statistics, you know, whatever. I mean, it was, it was a really dumb idea. Um, but just, you know, I was trying to do something that people were already doing and just trying to do it better. Like basically like, I guess you could call it like, and I'm smarter than you theory, you know, like if your theory is your theory is kind of rooted in like, I'm smarter than you um, and you're trying to get started, it's probably not a great idea. Um, you'd be better off like trying to find something new, which I, I know gets more and more difficult to do by the day, right? Because there's just, there's so many people now talking about this stuff and uh, doing it in an intelligent way and producing content. Um, but, you know, try to find something, try to find something new, try to find a new slant on something and you'd be probably a lot better off. And I would say kind of like as a, as a corollary to that would be like, just find a niche and go really hard at it. You know, um, like it's really easy to start writing about fantasy football and just be like, all right, I'm going to write about quarterbacks today and running backs tomorrow. And like, you know, you stretch yourself like kind of thin, but if you're just like, I'm going to be, I mean, even if, even, even like, if, like, like Denny Carter has kind of made this into like a meme, but like, he's the kickers guy, you know, like he's the kickers guy. Like that's the person I think of when I think about kickers and uh, like, that's a, that's a whole niche that like people haven't even attacked, you know, it's like, it has been so underexploited that like he basically has dominated the space by like making fun of it half the time, you know? Uh, so I think, I think stuff like that is really important or could be really valuable when you're just getting started. I think that's a really solid example. That's not even something I would have thought about as like, I know that people will post, there are some people that will look into it and post as a way to try and uh, get an exploit. But even looking at something as simple as, as kickers is really a, a smart way of trying to figure out what hasn't been attacked yet. I like that a lot. Uh, let's see here. And then uh, as a trend, do you find yourself more or more, more likely to react slowly to news or where you stick with your prior evaluation? Or do you react quickly and often try and take advantage of shifts? Uh, so it depends. 
it's kind of like a cop-out answer i guess but, but it kind of depends on like the nature of the news um if it's something like if it's something like the draft right where it's like the draft happens and this is like a huge event i'd like to react i'd like to react somewhat quickly there um if it's something like you know Adam Gase says we're going to run 70 plays a game and we're going to give Frank Gore the ball 25 times a game. Like I'm probably a little slower to react to that. Um, so if it's something that's solidified, I, I would prefer to act a little with a little more haste, uh, but I don't mind, I don't mind waiting things out because I, I do feel like there's kind of this, uh, again, like news is kind of like an open-ended topic, but I, I kind of feel like if, If everyone has like a first opinion on something and I'm forming my first opinion and I'm seeing all these opinions, like I'm kind of giving it a biased opinion. Um, so I, I like to be a little slower just so that I can, I guess, assess these things properly and see how other people are reacting and see how I really feel um, before I react. Because I mean, for the most part, like, if someone's value is going to go like up or down, like that's going to happen no matter what, in the sense that like, um, like, I don't know, like Jamar Chase got drafted fifth. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, what do we do with T Higgins? Like, well, I don't know. I mean, like if, if someone doesn't like T Higgins today that owns him, um, I don't necessarily know they're going to feel better about feel better or worse about that in like two days. If I take the time to think about it. Um, so I, I'd rather just kind of form my own opinions, I think, before reacting to a lot of this stuff, which is kind of funny, I guess, because like, you know, like I, I'm also like pretty involved in like the betting space and the betting space, it's like, you have to react to, to news as fast as possible. <laughs> like, it, like every second you miss on every second you miss on news, like you're losing EV. But like in Dynasty, I kind of just don't feel it's that way because like for the most part, like there's a lot of agreement on stuff. So like if, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers were to get traded right now while we're doing this show. Like, it's not like the people in your league aren't going to know that, you know? Um, so, like, why why the urgency? Like, let everyone have their, like, form your own opinion. That's how we want to do. Yeah, I think uh, one of our users has just pointed out a very good example. Another, there was all the news coming out about Mac Jones potentially uh, going third overall. Like, you know, at points he was, you know, negative 250 to go to the Niners at that pick. Like that's, you know, trying to hop on news the moment it comes out can definitely be a negative uh, aspect to, at some points or positive, depending on what kind of news it is. It's just, you kind of have to parse what exactly what kind of news it is or what kind of, what, what things you're reacting to, I guess is what you're kind of saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. If you heard like one of those, if you're in one of those leagues that does the draft before the draft, like does the rookie draft before the NFL draft and like you drafted Mac Jones expecting him to be a Niner, like, whew, that's a tough scene. Uh, <laughs> Cause it could not be like any different now. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a very good example. Right. Uh, let's see. So how many leagues are you in to just out of curiosity? And then if you're in a lot, do you have any advice for managing a large number? Yeah, so the, the second, I'll answer the second question first, which is, uh, if any of you guys figure it out, let me know, because I, <laughs> I was kind of like overwhelmed with leagues a couple of years ago, and I had to like drop a few. Now I'm in 
like what I would consider to be like three really solid leagues for dynasty um, that I can manage their best ball. So like, I don't have to do a lot of management during the season. We do have like trading windows and stuff like that, but it's not, uh, it's not as difficult to manage as it was earlier. I feel like um, I'm mostly just doing most of my, mostly doing the, the work in the off season, which is the best time to do it and not having to do the work in season. So I guess, I guess my suggestion, if you're looking to manage a bunch of leagues is try to make them best ball if possible uh, to manage, to lessen the load in season. That's definitely became a, uh, maybe it's just me or maybe, you know, I'm starting to become less shelter, but that definitely seems to me like it's been a growing sentiment among the community. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems like more dynasty leagues are switching to best ball as people are realizing that they want to be in more leagues. Would you say that that's something that you've noticed as well? Yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people that I talk to, I know, are moving to best ball. Um, I mean, if you're someone that, if you're someone that is, is doing content, like, I mean, my goodness, what a nightmare. Like, every week, like, you're trying to do your content, you're trying to set your lineups, you're, you're, you're doing other stuff, you know, like, the fall just, I mean, takes no prisoners. So, uh I think that that's a big reason why like among industry types, it's become more popular. And then like, you know, I mean, most people like don't want to put the time in. I mean, like the best part of the the draft, the best part of fantasy is drafting. So if I can just do the drafting, like just do the fun stuff and not do the the boring stuff. um, Like, I feel like that's something a lot of people are interested in. So like now that, and I think especially like best ball becoming more mainstream in like the redraft space, like, you know, we have underdog, we have, uh, best ball tens we have like all these places where like people are already doing best ball for their season long and then it's kind of like only one extra step to be like oh why don't I just do dynasty this way so yeah that makes sense so um we had a question from adam sealers fan who uh, saw that you were the number one uh qb ranker on fantasy pros um did you happen to see some of the um there was a bit of a kerfuffle before the season started with, I think it was Scott Barrett who was kind of going after fantasy pros for being for their rankings, kind of encouraging safe rankings. Do you have an opinion on that? Is that something you could speak to? Um, yeah. So I, I did, I did not see that, but I know that fantasy pros is like, uh, I guess kind of like always under the gun <laughs> for something. Like I feel like there's always something going on. Uh, some, of it, some of it to their own fault, some of it not, but yeah, I mean, the, the way that they score it, I mean, anything that has a scoring system can be gamed, right? I mean, if you told me right. that ranking players this way would, would net me some kind of result, like then it would incentivize me to do that. I would say that in the fantasy pro sense, the, the biggest thing is just like not ranking for upside. Like if I have like Darrington Evans I'm, is like someone on fantasy pros where like if you rank him where you might take him in a draft, it's going to hurt you because chances are Derrick Henry will not get hurt and he will not score points and he will be bad. But like he's someone where maybe you take him earlier because in reality he has all this contingent value that you want to, to capture. So like that kind of stuff I would say is, is hurt. But I mean, like if you're going to score something, like it's difficult to not have kind of like an edge somewhere. Uh, the thing that's kind of funny about that with respect to the quarterback stuff is that like I am mostly just, ranking the quarterbacks what am I um, based on what my projections say so I really haven't done much gaming in the system at all I mean quarterback is not a position that like you're ranking tons of players anyway 
So uh, I felt pretty good about that. And the most interesting part about that is that I'm actually not doing a lot of work with the quarterback itself. So like, like uh, for instance, the year that I had, I guess it must have been 2018 when Mahomes was the MVP. Like I had him projected as like a top five or top six quarterback. Um, and I remember people being like, oh, well, that, that's like really high for him. Like obviously he was like a double digit pick, whatever. But like I didn't, and that had nothing to do with what I thought about Patrick Mahomes. Like it really had everything to do with what I thought about his receivers because all my quarterback projections are just, you know, um, aggregations of what I'm projecting for the receivers and I project the receivers first. So um, that I think has been really interesting. And that's been this, the, the one thing that I think when it comes to that, that kind of stuff, like the projections in the rankings that like, I'm still not hundred percent sure people believe me <laughs> because it seems weird that you would do really well projecting something without really thinking about that position. But that's kind of how I approach quarterback. Like it's mostly about the team. Like what can we accurately project uh, the number of plays and the pass rate? And then can we accurately project the receivers? And I would say like, for the most part, if you do it in an informed way, like you can do pretty well, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that Hermsmeyer's done has talked about like, you know, average at the target belongs to the receiver um you know racer like the efficiency part of that is a little more uh variant but like by by projecting the receivers using their a dot and their racer and their target share um like i'm creating way better quarterback projections as a result so i, I think the way all that stuff kind of is married together is very interesting yeah that's really that's an interesting concept of just thinking about it's almost thinking about the QB position in aggregate, like aggregate of all of the other team factors. And I think that almost is a better way of looking at it. Would you agree with would you agree with that summary of it? Yeah, yeah, I, I do because I, I feel like um quarterback talent obviously is really important. You know, I mean like I I'm not suggesting that we could put like uh you know Ryan Mallett on the Chiefs and like all of a sudden he'd be QB one. But like that, like where you are and the receivers that you have, like has a really big impact on your range. You know, like, I mean, before Patrick Mahomes, there was Alex Smith and he was also very good in that offense and kind of like on the opposite side of the spectrum. Like, I don't know if there's any quarterbacks that you could have sent to, you know, New England last year and had them be good for fantasy because they had no receiving talent like whatsoever. Um, right. So I think thinking about quarterback as more of, of like an aggregation on like a sliding scale, like with the quarterback talent kind of being like that, that like uh, differentiator is, uh, is super valuable. I would also think that some of that talent would be captured in like the amount of plays you're projecting for the team, things like that, that are factors then that feed into your wide receiver project projections what it, from what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times I'm looking at like uh basically i'm basically i mean i don't i don't talk about it i don't care like i'm basically giving like i'm taking the vegas win loss and uh and i'm using that to project like the number of plays based on like the coach's history or depending on like the the players and the team like the quarterback's history maybe like stuff like that um so like the quarterback is having the impact i feel like on the projected win total you know like uh, mm -hmm. use the same example like if Ryan Mallett was quarterback of the Chiefs their win total would probably be like four and a half instead of twelve and a half or whatever it is so like you'd see the result there uh, and then it kind of like works its way back when we aggregate through with the receivers 
because now I'm, I'm getting my play number from that and my pass number from that and all that stuff. That makes a lot of sense. Um, one of our users, Adam Steelers fan, mentioned that uh, it sounds like you might be high on Lance based on that supporting cast as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really like Trey Lance. Like, I, I don't think you're crazy if you take Trey Lance at the one-on-one in Superflex. Um, I mean, I can kind of see that the, the Jack horse not being a great spot. Like, I'm not really loving Urban Meyer. Um, but, like, but, like, Lance is someone where we know immediately that he has three really good weapons. Like, Debo has been good when he's been healthy. Ayuk was awesome last year. I mean, O'Kittle is obviously amazing. Then you couple in the, the coaching aspect where like Kyle Shanahan has basically made everyone good. I mean, like even like CJ Beathard for like a hot second there, like produced fantasy points, even if he wasn't like a good quarterback. Um, and then obviously the fact that he can run and he, like he's, he's going to do that a lot. So yeah, like I, I love, I love Trey Lance. I think even like in redraft, he's going to be really interesting because um, basically you just have to, imagine that he's going to beat out Jimmy Garoppolo at some point and like he's kind of a QB1 by default like he's someone who's gonna run for I don't know like over a 17 game season like he would probably run for like 800 yards or something like that so just prorate that to however many games I think he starts and like that's still probably QB1 so I, I uh yeah I really like Trey Lance um could you expand on the like the Hermsmeyer mention about receivers on in there that yeah, so uh, so I guess this I mean, to to bring it full circle like this, I guess this kind of comes back to what you were asking me earlier about like the coaching stuff and the the X's and O's and how that kind of impacts how I look at things. Like the play, like if you believe that coaches at the professional level are good, like in like a general sense, right? Like they have to have like some level of knowledge of the game, like some understanding of the game, like they're they're obviously got there with a reason. Like we may argue about like some of the decisions they make, whatever, like fourth down, short yards, stuff like that. But like, they obviously understand football. Like you have to imagine that at some level, they're tailoring the stuff they do to the players that they, the players that they have. Um, so like what we've seen is that like average at the target is actually like very sticky for receivers, uh, uh, way stickier than, than something like efficiency, like whether it's yards per target, racer, whatever it is um these like depth of targets are really consistent and they're even consistent when you have them like changing teams like someone like stefan diggs changing teams or DeAndre hopkins changing teams like although actually he's not a great example because the horizontal rate i think really ruined his adot but like generally speaking like these average at the targets are like fairly sticky um and that tell what that says to me and what it, i think it has, has said to josh and this is why i brought it up is that like the kinds of routes that these players are running is based on them. You know, like we're not sending, we're not sending, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like Deshaun Jackson just went to the Rams. Like it's unlikely that Deshaun Jackson is, is going to just all of a sudden start running all these crossing routes. Like he's going to do what he's done for the first 10 years of his career, which is going to run a lot of deep routes. He's going to have like a 15, a dot, like something crazy that's what he does like that's how you use Deshaun Jackson you know uh someone like Rondell Moore has been like a really productive low eight out target in college like he's probably going to do a lot of that stuff in the NFL uh so like average at the target is something that belongs to the receiver so when I apply that like then we think about well how does that apply to the quarterback 
but we know that air yards, like if I could, if I could come up with a way to determine how many air yards a quarterback has, I could do a really good job of projecting his fantasy production. Um, you know, it, it would be a lot harder to project like his actual yards, but I could do a much better job proje projecting his air yards because I can maybe project the um, target shares a little bit easier using like historical backgrounds and stuff like that. Um, and I can project the air yards from that because I, I understand that the A dot is going to be within like some standard range of like what his career has told me. Uh, obviously, like the longer the career, like the more information that I have on that, the better. Um, so like, and everything kind of just comes back to air yards and how valuable they are. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I, was like, I go a little long on these, but that's, uh, I guess that's kind of how like I visualize all that stuff interacting and why it matters. All good. No, I, that's a ton of great detail. I mean, like, uh, I, I think one of our users, uh, Al, had pointed that out because he knew that, that you know, there was going to be some really good information there if you had expanded on it. So I'm really glad that you did. Um, speaking of Rondell Moore, you had mentioned him here earlier, and you also talked a little bit about how you use um, wide receiver comps as a heavy part of your process. Um, we had a user, Dynasty underscore name, uh, he wanted to ask you if you could briefly explain like the stats that you use in your wide receiver model and what they mean. Uh, he didn't recognize them. And then like uh, what, um, what that means, given that Rondell Moore's comps are so good, uh, do you think that that is a good way of predicting NFL success? And then like, could you maybe compare and contrast that to someone like Elijah Moore? Yeah, so this is where it gets really fun for me because I, I you know, I, I think that the data provides for us some really interesting things. Um, so first of all, in terms of the stats, like I did like a whole, I took like all the data that I had basically. And then I did some classification tree analysis where using R part and R. So again, another reason why R is the best. Um, like the algorithm is basically telling, like splitting the data at critical points um, for certain variables. And it's telling me, essentially like which variables matter the most. So the variables that were popping up the most were uh, final year market share of rushing yards, uh, adjusted, adjusted yards per play, which is just two times receiving yards uh, plus rushing yards divided by team plays, um, career market share of touches. So total offensive touches uh, over the total number, um, career receiving yards per team pass attempt. And then adjusted age and adjusted years so there's like these two stats that that are in the and these are all like the default inputs on this app so if you use the wide receiver similarity app which i've tweeted a few times um that's like these are like the default inputs so adjusted age is breakout age with an 85 percent weighing towards well, it's, an, it's a, I should say it's an 85% weighting towards breakout age. 15% of the weighting is final age. So we still have like some input of final age in there. And then basically the same calculation for breakout year, 85% uh, weighing of the year that the player broke out and 15% of finals. So like uh, the reason I, I have this 85% number is basically like I was doing all these regression analysis and I was trying to determine like, if there is a better way to, to weigh this, mostly because I was having a really difficult time modeling receivers who had a breakout and who didn't, because I didn't want to just like, I didn't want to just input like a zero 
or like arbitrarily like add a year like I, there are all these things i could have done i was like why don't i just use the data that i have and see if there's a, a good way to, to mix it together so that's how i came together with that stuff um and then i also include draft position and weight so what is that one two three four five six there's so there's eight eight statistics basically and uh again like all this stuff just comes from things that i have already seen in other avenues that basically were valuable so Again, we do the PCA. PCA tells me, you know, how how should I weigh all these variables? Um, we find the Euclidean distance between the given prospect and all the prospects in the data set, and you know, boom, we have our we have our comps. So the really cool thing that I found through this is that like something like maybe like 40 time is not an input, but there's a lot of players that get kind of like there are a lot of players and a lot of comps that you would consider to be similar, like in how they play, their speed, stuff like that, when those aren't inputs. So it kind of like verifies to me that like the process, even if it's not perfect, like it at least makes some sense because there's some players that like just kind of by looking at it, I'm like, oh, like these players are very similar. So like I look at Rondell Moore and his comps, we have you know Jeremy Macklin, who's maybe like the least similar out of all these guys. But it's like Macklin, Randall Cobb, Tyler Boyd, T.Y. Hilton, Bob Woods, like these kinds of guys who have like this um, like diversified ability to impact the game. You know, they can run the ball. They can return the ball. They can obviously catch. They're mostly low ADOC guys. Um, and then I look actually at somebody like Moore, and I'm like, he's actually like the best athlete of all these guys. So like these kinds of comps make me feel really, really good about someone like Rondell Moore on top of the fact that he kind of ended up in like the best spot, you know, I mean, uh, he's going to be in the slot from day one in Arizona. He's going to be running all of these like crossing routes, all this low eight out stuff that he did at Purdue. He was really good at. Um, so I really like Rondell Moore. Then we look at someone like Elijah Moore. And again, like we're just dumping him into this process and we're kind of seeing what we get. And he's a little bit more challenging to look at uh, just because he doesn't have like the same, he doesn't have like the same like eye-popping numbers, I would say, as Moore does. I mean, Moore broke out as a true freshman. He has all his rushing data, you know. Um, but like Moore is still competent to guys like, you know, Kendall Wright, Greg Jennings, Manny Sanders, Tyler Lockett, Austin Colley, like still a bunch of guys that have found great success in the slot, um, which is what we would expect Moore to do. So again, like without even really, like there's no input where I'm saying like, He's a slot guy. Find me the 10 most similar slot guys. Like the data is actually kind of just doing that for me, which is really cool. Um, so how I would compare them, those two guys is, is tough. Um, I took, I took Elijah Moore over Rondell Moore in one of my leagues, but that was mostly because I had already drafted Zach Wilson and I like having the stack where I can. Um, I think I think in a vacuum, I probably prefer Rondale just because again, that true freshman breakout is a really big uh, data point for me. But like both guys are probably gonna be pretty good. I mean, I don't know what like their absolute ceilings are just because when you're playing out of the slot, it's hard to maybe have like that consistent high ceiling. But I mean, if Elijah Moore became someone like Tyler Lockett, we'd obviously be pretty happy. Um, yeah, so I, I uh, yeah, I don't know if I lost the question in there somewhere, but that's uh, that's how I kind of look at those guys. No, I think you you covered it super well, uh, and then probably a little and then some. Um, 
speaking of that, I mean, we were just discussing some of the rookies here. Um, speaking of that in general, uh, do you have uh, within any of the rookies drafts or startups, who do you think this year have been like your best value picks? And then uh, this user referenced Kadarius uh, uh, Tony in that question. He's kind of a Kadarius Tony stan. <laughs> well, hey, there's not a lot of those out there, so that's cool. Um, no, I mean, I, I think for value though, Tony does make some sense. I mean, the again, the the draft, the two drafts that I'm in that have gone the deepest, Tony went. Let's see, pretty sure kind of late. Like he went two ten. This is super flex. He went two ten and one, and we're at the two oh four and another. He has still not come off the board. So I mean, if we're talking first, I mean. He's still a first round receiver. This is kind of where I talk about like we weigh everything else too much and the draft capital not enough. Like he's probably not that good based on some of the stuff that we like to look at. But at the end of the day, he still went at pick 20. So like, should I really be taking him after like Michael Carter? Like probably not, you know? Um, so I, I definitely could see him standing out as a value. Uh, I think Terrace Marshall is a value. I know that he slipped a little bit in the draft. But he's going to a Joe Brady system. Joe Brady is familiar with Marshall. Uh, Marshall, I think, still has like one of the highest ceiling profiles of anyone in this class, just because he can still he can be like that prototypical outside receiver, and that gives him a lot more outs, you know, versus the guys like Rondale and Elijah Moore, um, even a Devontae Smith, who we would expect to be like a strict slot guy. Uh, being able to put Marshall like on the outside, I think, gives him more outs, and I think him going like way later than some of these guys. Uh, is is beneficial to the the drafter, um, like Bateman. I'd say we were over in the landing spot, and then kind of like the um, as a corollary to that, like Tylen Wallace. Um, you know, I, I have no way of proving this, I guess, but I kind of feel like this draft really penalized guys with injury histories a lot more because the teams were not able to like inspect these players as well as they usually do obviously we'd have like the medical the medical check-ins of the combine you know all these teams would be able to like get their hands on these players and like you know feel their shoulders or whatever all this weird stuff that they like to do um and they really get to do that this year so a guy like wallace who like i mean literally if he just doesn't tear his acl last year he's probably a day two pick um like he probably would have come out last year and been a day two pick now he's a day three pick early day three pick this year I kind of feel like that has mostly to do with the medical. Um, he is, he looks very similar to Bateman. Like he's kind of like an older Rashad Bateman. Um, so the fact that he went to the same team that drafted Bateman, I think makes some sense. Um, and the Ravens don't really have any receivers at all. So I kind of like uh, Wallace as a value. Uh, and then if you play super flex, I think Davis Mills is a really interesting uh, guy to look at because Houston traded up. And I know that they're, <laughs> it's like so sad. Their first pick was in the third round, but they traded up in the third round to get Davis Mills as their first draft pick. And obviously there's all this stuff going on with Deshaun Watson. So it's possible that like Mills is the guy that they kind of view as like, hopefully this is our guy. Um, and I would expect him to honestly probably play a lot this year, just because if, uh, if Deshaun Watson's gone, I mean, they're gonna be terrible. Like their win total is three and a half right now. Um, like there are like the huge favorites to to pick first next year. If you, if you pick first, you're probably taking a quarterback. So it's really valuable to them, I would say, right away to figure out how good Davis Mills is, 
And if you're playing super flex, like just getting a guy who starts a lot of times is valuable. So if we're talking like, you know, mid to late third round, Davis Mills, I like that uh, a lot as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of the Ravens, we actually had a question earlier. Um, and uh, if you had any thoughts on like the projections for their offense, as well as what their like pass to run ratio would look like. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I've already projected Baltimore. I haven't done like my final comb over before submitting my projections, but um, I have the Ravens passing a little bit more than last year. I have them throwing the ball, uh, let's see, 47.3% of the time, which is like a 15% bump from like what you would expect based on like the previous two seasons of Lamar. And, you know, a big part of that is just the receivers. I mean, it's not just Hollywood Brown anymore. Now it's Brown, it's Bateman, it's Tylen Wallace. They signed Sammy Watkins, uh, which I guess, I mean, I don't know. Is he even yet? I don't know. But like, he's, he's a guy, like he's around. They, they went and got him. Um, so I kind of feel like, and this is the contract, this is the year they really need to decide if they're going to pay Lamar Jackson long-term. And I, and I feel like a big part of that evaluation is probably, you know, can we, can we maybe throw the ball a little bit better? So I think they're going to throw the ball a little bit more. They're going to run a decent amount of plays. I have them for like a little over 1,100 plays. Again, we have the 17-game season. So like a lot of these numbers are kind of boosted up by default. Um, but I am expecting them to throw a little, a little bit more. Uh, I would still expect them to be pretty multiple in the backfield. Um, you know, I know Dobbins gets all the love, but I feel like Gus Edwards is going to be very heavily involved. Uh, I would expect Justice Hill to be involved, not to the same extent, but at least somewhat. Um, and obviously Lamar is, is like the RB1 for them as well as being their quarterback. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun stuff, I think, kind of coming down the pipeline for, for this team. I think I'm very excited to see what they do, uh, especially since I feel like if they open it up a little bit more um, and they get out of this two tight end stuff and they do a little bit more empty, a little bit more four wide stuff, um, that kind of like very naturally creates better running opportunities for Lamar also. So uh, I'm kind of curious to see what they did. They did that two years ago when he won the MVP. And then I felt like last year they got right back into more of this like pistol big set stuff and it didn't work out as well. Um, so I'd like to see them open it up a little bit more now that they have some receivers. Yeah. I think as a, uh, as someone who has Bateman in 60% of my leagues, I would be a big fan of them uh, doing a little more open sets with Lamar as well. So we'll see. <laughs> Um, which, uh, which NFL sophomores do you think are, do you have like maybe one or two that are most likely to break out and then, uh, one non QB that would be most likely to regress? Um, so, I mean, the sophomores, a bunch of them are already broken out, but I would say like, maybe the guy, I mean, I'm still on, I'm still on rugs. Like I'm still team rugs. Like they, they lost Nelson Aguilar who had the breakout last year for them. They brought in John Brown, who I think is like closer to dust than to useful at this point. Um, like he's hurt all the time. Um, so I kind of like rugs as like a year or two breakout again, maybe I'm just kind of like pumping my bags there because I want him to be good. Uh, but I could definitely see, I could definitely see uh, rugs being a year two breakout. Um, I was really hoping to be able to say Lynn Bowden in this question, but unfortunately uh, the Dolphins have buried me. Um, 
KJ Hamler, I also like probably maybe more of like a best ball play, but like if the Broncos get Aaron Rodgers, and if the Broncos get good quarterback play at all, um, Hamler is a guy that kind of is very efficient and can make long plays happen. He's someone that I like. Um, I, I'm not going to say Van Jefferson just because they, they just drafted Tutu, who I like, and they signed d So I don't know if that's going to happen. But, again, he was like one of those day two guys last year that you probably drafted kind of late. So if he gives you anything, you probably feel pretty good. Um, Gabriel Davis is a really popular name, I would say. Uh, and then guys who are going to regress, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of think Dobbins is like I, – I can't really say Dobbins is going to regress because he hasn't broken out yet fully but like he's the guy that I'm not really expecting to to hit expectations just because of the stuff that I was just saying like I still think that they're going to be super multiple in the backfield um and I think that if they're splitting those carries and like he's kind of the de facto RB2 already just because of Lamar I don't know if he necessarily hits the ceiling but I I really like all these guys I mean I, I think last year was just an exceptional class um especially with the receivers. Like I'm not really anticipating a fall off from like T Higgins just because they drafted chase. I kind of just think that that whole offense is going to jam. Um, same thing with, with a bunch of these guys. I mean, Ayuk, I was still expecting them to be good, you know? So I'm not really like, I'm not really against like any of the guys who broke out last year. I'm just kind of hoping more of these guys join the, uh, join the fun. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a couple questions left and then we're about to wrap up. Um, where do you end up pulling in your stats from? Do you use like the college football scraper, like sports reference? Um, uh, but like, sports, what do you use for your eye? Yeah, sorry. So for the, um, yeah, for all the college data, I'm, I'm just taking that off sports reference. So I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, they don't put that all behind the paywall, but uh, it seems like they might. So maybe next year I'll have to figure something else out, but. Yeah, I was just scraping it off uh, off their site. I mean, everything's really clean off there, so it's it's nice to do. Yeah, they definitely have been moving that direction, and it's it's it is unfortunate. Uh, and then, uh, so we were kind of discussing the uh, Falcons RB situation earlier today. It was a hot topic in the server. Um, how do you see that working out? Like Mike Davis, um, this user Pancake is specifically referencing the Javion Hawkins hype. So, so I'll preface this by saying I have Mike Davis in like every league. So <laughs> I, uh, I really hope that it's Mike Davis. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I mean, presumably that's most likely I'm, I'm very surprised that they did not uh, draft a running back because they didn't pay Mike Davis a lot of money. Um, so like the Mike Davis contract, he was only like 3 million or something like that, like uh, this year. So I was or 3 million guaranteed. So I was kind of expecting them to draft someone and then just be like, okay, like we, you know, we didn't really pay Mike Davis that much. He's kind of expendable or like, we don't really have to use him. They didn't, then they didn't, you know? Um, so, you know, I think Davis has the pass catching background to stick as like the lead. We know that, you know, Arthur Smith obviously used a lead back when that lead back was Derrick Henry. I'm not really positive that he did the same thing when that lead back is Mike Davis. Um, but Hawkins has every reason to be in the mix. I mean, he was a workhorse in college. I know that he's a, he has a smaller frame, but you know, a lot of the stuff that like Blair and the road of his guys look at, you know, backfield dominator is really valuable in predicting like these undrafted guys that become important for fantasy. So I like Hawkins as well. Like I, I just drafted him in one of my leagues. So I think that Hawkins is definitely worth an ad. Um, he's very, very cheap. 
You know, I mean, the, the undrafted guys usually are, so that makes sense. But Hawkins is someone who doesn't have the draft capital to, to say, like, he's definitely going to stick. But, like, I mean, my goodness, like, this depth chart couldn't be any worse. Like, it's, it's literally Mike Davis and, like, two guys who've really never done anything. I mean, Tony Brooks James, like, I couldn't really tell you too much about him. Um, Kadri, Quadri Olison has been there and hasn't really gotten any opportunities. So I'm not really sure that says the Falcons already think about him. So I'm expecting this to be the Mike Davis show. And then I think that Hawkins is probably good enough to knife his way in there. Like if anything were to happen to Davis or if he just weren't to play very well, uh, I would kind of expect Hawkins to be the next guy up there. Sure. Um, and then closing out with a couple last questions. Uh, do you, what's the best uh, purchase that you've made for under a hundred dollars in the last year? Oh boy. Uh, so I, I am very, I'm a very frugal spender. I don't buy a lot of things. Um, I would say oof, probably like whatever the best meal I've had <laughs> in the last year to be, I don't really, I don't really buy a lot of stuff. So it's, it's not really a good question probably for me to answer. And then uh, this is our final question, a bit of a meme. So hopefully I apologize if, uh, hopefully it's not too offensive, but do you have, uh, do you have any good poop stories for us? <laughs> is this something you guys like legit ask like is this like am i supposed to answer this or <laughs> yeah, if you want to it's up to you um <laughs> i mean i don't think i've ever pooped myself so if that's if that's what the people want like that's not a story i have but uh there you go that's the yeah I that's our I'm answer sorry. i feel bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're fine you're i almost wish that i have now that i had now just for the people <laughs> no you're good uh i appreciate you spending all this time with us it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here um if you want to maybe spend a couple minutes um if you have anything you want to talk about if you want to pimp you know, like your sub stack uh go for it um and and then we'll call it a pod cool man yeah so uh the you can find like a lot of my projections and rankings and stuff over at football guys uh written content tbd tbd uh you know we're still kind of working out the schedule on that so i'm not sure exactly what kind of written content i'll produ be producing but you know between that and my Substack, will definitely get you know i'll have as many of my thoughts published as possible so the Substack is uh, amixta.substack.com the the newsletter is called in the aggregate um and i try to you know i'm pretty upfront about it like it's kind of like my avenue to write about what I want when I want. So don't hold me to, uh, if you subscribe, don't hold me to uh, a content plan per se, but uh, you know, I, I like to try to get people to know me a little bit better. So if you like stuff like this, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's for you. Um, and uh, you know, that's where you'll probably see information on any apps that I put out. So we have the wide receiver similarity app, the running back similarity app for prospects. Uh, I have completed already like a wide receiver app that can be used for, for like redraft or dynasty purposes, but I have not really released it yet. So kind of keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, and then otherwise, uh, yeah, I mean, thank you for having me. I mean, again, like, I just think it's really cool that people are even interested to hear about like what I think or what I have to say about a lot of this stuff. So, uh, so thank you. And, uh, you guys who, who care to listen, like, I can't even believe that people had questions that they wanted to ask. So <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's really cool also. So thank you guys uh, so much, really. All right. Thank you very much, Anthony. And then we're going to call this a pod. Thank you, guys. Thank you.